1: And good evening to you wherever you may be. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike Douglas here along with uh, Lane Harlan, our producer and co-host, and of course our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, with us uh, today. And uh, also our special guest today, Cindy Marks. and. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about responding to God's call, and in this case, God's call uh, to serve in a very unique and special and important way on our local school board. And we'll be exploring all that and more in just a couple of minutes. Right now, though, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people be-
2: Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with the story of another real life Jesus freak. It's 1996, Sudan. Philip is taken to a military barracks along with 35 other Christians. For 11 days, he and several others are bound, beaten, and burned as government soldiers try to convert them to Islam. Refusing to deny their faith in Christ, many die from the extreme torture. Finally, Philip is released. But still he carries the scars from the burning log pressed against his chest. He survived the torture by praying, God, I will never forget you. I know you are with me. Philip offered his body as a burnt offering to the Lord, and he lived to tell the story.
1: Will you stand with the voice of the martyrs? Go online to persecution.com. You know, friends, uh, Paul reminds us that we're to offer our, our bodies, our whole beings as living sacrifices Holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable, our reasonable yes. service. And, uh, friends, you know, we sometimes uh, treat those stories like they're, they're myths. Remember, this stuff is going on all across our world today. We're blessed, at least I believe for the moment, to be able to worship freely here in the United States of America. But friends, a may, day may come when that's not the case. And so the urgency now is to reach out and connect with those who do not know Christ in our community, because time may be very well short. And uh, again, uh, God is urgent about it, and uh, we need to be urgent as well. Today, also, uh, of course, we're celebrating uh, the memory of Dr. Martin Luther King. Today, on the uh, 19th of January in 2009. How did it get to be 2009? I don't know, but anyway, uh, I wanted to read a couple of excerpts from a letter that Dr. King had written this was in April of 1963 uh several clergymen in the Alabama uh, area had uh, written to him and they were criticizing him uh for his uh, his tactics at at the moment and uh, as he was alone in that Birmingham jail he uh uh had a uh a guard I guess or a caretaker there who was um giving him some paper to write on. He started out by writing it in the margins of a newspaper, and later on, I guess, uh, was able to get some regular paper to write on. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's uh, about four pages, single spacing. But there are some excerpts from here that I think are as poignant today 40 years later, as they were back on uh, April of 1963. Let me just pull a couple of these out and just think about these in terms of where we are as the church today and our, our involvement with the community. Dr. King wrote, one has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two, he writes? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, An unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. And he continues, One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. Let me read that one again. One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. He goes on to say, of course, there is nothing new about this kind of civil disobedience. It was evidenced sublimely in the refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <laughs> to obey the laws of Nebuchadnezzar on the grounds that a higher moral law was at stake. It was practiced superbly by the early Christians who were willing to face hungry lions and the excruciating pain of chopping blocks rather than submit to certain unjust laws of the Roman Empire. To a degree, academic freedom is a reality today because Socrates practiced civil disobedience in our own nation the boston tea party represented a massive act of civil disobedience dr king continues we should never forget that everything adolf hitler did in germany was legal and everything the hungarian freedom fighters did in hungary was illegal it was illegal to aid and comfort a jew in hitler's germany even so I am sure that, had I lived in Germany at the time, I would have aided and comforted my Jewish brothers. If today I lived in a communist country where certain principles dear to the Christian faith were suppressed, I would openly advocate disobeying that country's anti-religious laws. He says, actually, we who engage in non-violent direct action are not the creators of tension. We merely bring to the surface the hidden tension that is already alive. We bring it out in the open where it can be seen and dealt with, like a boil that can never be cured so long as it is covered up, but must be opened with its ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light. Injustice must be exposed with all the tension its exposure creates to the light of human conscience and the air of national opinion before it can be cured. Isn't that great? Wow. I want to end. uh... (laughs) want to end with this. uh, This is towards the end of the letter, and um, I think it speaks to, to us today in the American church. He says, there was a time when the church was very powerful in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on. In the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number... you hear that part? (laughs) Small in number... They were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. (laughs) By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. Of course, now we've made infanticide legal. Going on. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. And I'll end here with this final sentence from dr king but the judgment of god is upon the church as never before if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church it will lose its authenticity forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century
0: amen and amen
1: isn't that prophetic?
0: Yeah. Oh, my yes. goodness.
1: Now, of course, in context, he's talking about the civil rights movement. But mm-hmm. if we take the principles that he's talking about and, uh, and we look at the lack of the influence of the church today in America because we've become so ingrown. Wow. If you're interested in um, getting a copy of this, it's called A, a Letter from the Birmingham Jail. I'll be happy to, uh, give you the website for that. Email us, lighthouselive at earthlink.net. That's one word, lighthouselive, and then at earthlink.net and of course you can call us 209-544-9571 that's 209-544-9571
0: let's give a big thanks to the turlock community yeah. fellowship oh
1: wasn't that a great time that was wonderful. yeah dr michael wright is in india right now doing some great things and just some miraculous things going on uh, there there is as, as this little church in turlock you remember we were just in Dr. King's letter, he just talked about small, yes. but having big impact. Oh, boy. Turlock Community Fellowship is, you know, by most standards of, of church size, small. But huge oh, impact. that senior pastor is in India right now having a huge impact there. This little tiny congregation enables ministry all across this county. And they're just wonderful people. Uh, probably 50% of the congregation there is developmentally disabled. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, what a joy to be in their midst because, you know what, there's no artificial stuff. Mm-hmm. There's no saccharin there. You know, I mean, when they sing, this is the real stuff. Oh, Isn't that something?
0: Cindy, they raise their voices. It's just a joyful noise to the yes. Lord. It is just precious. It's just so
1: precious. thank you, friends from oh, Turlock Community yes. Fellowship, for... Well, inviting us to worship with you. It truly was our blessing to be there.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way opportunities to serve. Yes. That's what we're about. The McHenry Mansion is where you can join an enthusiastic and interesting group of docents who keep the mansion open for visitors. Volunteer docents learn about our local history, become knowledgeable about the late Victorian period, meet new friends, enjoy numerous social events, yearly trips uh, while serving the community. Volunteers attend monthly meetings with interesting programs, uh, participate in 14 service obligations per year uh, scheduled at their convenience. They attend about 16 hours of uh, docent training uh, those interested are asked to attend uh, next 8 week training series on Wednesday mornings beginning January 28th Uh, owned and operated by the city of Modesto and accredited by the American Association of Museums. The McHenry Mansion is a historical site that is open to the general public for tours and is the site of many weddings, receptions, and special events. And uh, this is a place to connect, to serve, and yes, to network, just meet people. Uh, The Paradise South Weed and Seed, where you can prepare taxes For seniors and low-income workers and families, volunteers are needed to help low-income individuals prepare state and federal tax returns and apply for the EITC. That's earned income tax credit uh, for you numbers crunchers, and I'm not one of those. <laughs> no accounting uh, experience is needed, uh, and free training and IRS materials are provided for you. Volunteers should be comfortable uh, working with numbers and, and also with people, and helping people again is what this is about. If you have Spanish and English uh, translation, that's a great service uh, to provide training is scheduled, uh, and this is happening on January 28th as well, the mission of Paradise South Weed and Seed, which we are very familiar yeah. with, uh, is to restore and enhance the quality of life in Paradise South neighborhood uh, for those who live, work, and play there. Finally, the United... And
1: by the way, speaking of Turlock Community Fellowship, yes. Vicki Vicky. from TCF, yes, 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 uh, yes, went and, and volunteered for, for me, that yes. and, and had a great time and is looking for And bless you, those of you who are gifted with numbers. Oh, you yes. know, it's just... You know, I... What's with our children having algebra, too? I, I, I you know, know it's sure like I got to bone-up for like six months ahead of time so I can because help check the homework, God, you know? You know? It makes me feel God. insignificant, a really. No, it's you're not, though, but that's uh,
0: And let's uh, move on with this before we get in trouble. Finally, the United Way of Stanislaw County needs volunteers as well. And you know what? They're one of our partnering agencies. Very good friends. We just love them there. You want to put your organizational skills to work. Volunteers ages 14 years and older are needed to prepare packets and letters uh, for distribution and to help out with uh, a bulk mailing. We do that kind of stuff here at ABC, too. But they need flexible volunteer scheduling. Uh, Let's see. uh, It's going to be happening on February 2nd. <laughs> and uh, 5 to 8.30, uh, the United Way of Stanislaw County, where they advance the community good by focusing on efforts to create opportunities that improve the quality of life at all levels of our community. And you can please call Barbara Borbet; She's just a wonderful friend and person in our community. She's available at 209 209- Five two four thirteen zero seven extension 113, again, two zero nine five two four one three zero seven extension 113, or email her, borba at uwaystan.org And uh, one of our partner agencies, uh, and they've been on the program with us too, is World Relief,
2: Joy and William.
0: And they have a family just moved to our country and are in need of a high chair, a bed, a couch, and a dinette set. And, friends, if you have uh, these household donations and would like to bless this family, please give us a call here. And our number is 209-544-9571. That's the ABC number, and we will be uh, very happy to make those connections happen for that family in need. You know, one of the perks of what we do is getting to connect with lovely people such as our guest tonight, Cindy Marks. And uh, we mentioned on the school board here, highly respected, well-known, and loved by so many. And, And we are just thrilled and honored to have you with us, Cindy. Thank you for carving out time to spend with us tonight.
3: Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to
2: it. <laughs> We're
0: just glad to have have you here. And, and, and Cindy's one of those people you just love engaging in conversation with because you just feel like we've, you've known e- each other for all of our lives. Yeah. It's just great. You're out there in the community, and we meet you at so many meetings and functions and We know you at CMN, City Ministry Network, and uh, you and I attend the LECC meetings, the Latino Emergency uh, Communications Council, and uh, just lots of things. And of course, uh, tomorrow, the big Marketplace Connections takes place, and uh, just all sorts of things. But uh, chatting with you not so long ago, we found out that uh, you're from Northern California originally, Mm -hmm. and you started out serving as a very little girl.
3: Yes. Yeah, I I did. I I was born in the country, out in the boondocks in Northern California, in a logging neighborhood, and then moved to Portland, Oregon, and then moved to the Bay Area, and then moved to New York. All before I was nine years old. Wow, <laughs> that's a moving. So wow. it was a lot, and then moved from New York back to California, and went to ten different schools growing up. So. Very, a lot of adjustment as a kid and trying to fit in with people, but. Gave my heart to the Lord when I was four. Wow. 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 After I stole a cookie in the kitchen.
2: <laughs> uh,
3: my mom used that opportunity to teach me that all have sinned and all in short. <laughs> and did you come from a large family, Cindy? Or? There were six kids. Six. I'm uh, the fifth of six children. Wow. Yeah. My dad was a widower and had had four children. Wow. And his wife died in a tragic fire. And then he married my mom seven years later after his first wife had died. And then. And my mom and he had my brother and I so there's a little bit of a gap between my younger brother and I and the mm. older four okay so that's and they're they've gone to be with the Lord so.
1: So what kind of cookie was it? I mean, was it worth the effort? I, I have know. no idea.
3: He's thinking it's chocolate.
0: And he's thinking, probably
3: <laughs> hoping it was chocolate. If it wasn't, you know, it was I, a triple chocolate chip. I was thinking as a
1: kid, I'd get saved for a chocolate chip cookie. I mean, you know. Forgive me, Lord, I have sinned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but why, aren't those wonderful teachable moments? Yes. You know that we have, and, and you can't orchestrate those. God mm-hmm. provides those, you know, with our children, and, and you just yeah. have to be ready for them. And, and, and again, strategizing them doesn't quite work, but, wow, when those doors open, it's a great time, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah. and you never know what kind of you fruit don't. will come from yeah. that. That's Absolutely. right. That's right. Yeah. One time
0: at a table as we were sharing some special moments, Cindy, you were sharing about a time that you were serving uh, some people on the west side yes. of Modesto, and I thought that was so precious because that just kind of opened up, the conversation for a servant, we were talking about servants' hearts and, yeah. and of course reaching out to those people in need. And you have some wonderful stories about sharing uh, and serving those people on the west side and maybe just uh, share a little bit about those experiences with us.
3: Well, I God led me to work with Cambodian um, families and children. And we, my husband and I were going to church on the west side, which um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Modesto, it's kind of the inner city part. Um, lot, a lot of refugees have moved here. Um, in our school district, there's 48 languages spoken, so it's a pretty big variety on the west side. Wow. Well, all over Modesto, but a lot in, Med- in west side. A lot of gangs, um, prostitution, drugs, all those things are part of this apartment complex. And, as I went to church each week, I just asked the Lord to show me who He wanted me to minister to. I had taught child evangelism fellowship, my parents were leaders in that, and I had learned how to teach that that's the that's where you teach a Bible story using flannel graph and you use have these painted backgrounds and then you tell a story Um, it's before all the cool video stuff they have now but (laughs) it it actually is very interactive i saw
1: one of those the other day i thought man you know that's going to be an antique item here pretty
3: i know but it's you can adapt Mm, your story to fit and the way what you're the students you're working with and do games and all sorts of things it's portable you don't have to have electricity and so the wind is a problem but um (laughs) but i i told god Whoever and wherever you want me to go, Lord, send me. Aww. And so as I drove to church, I would see these African-American kids and Latino kids and Cambodian, Laotian, Hmong children. And as I looked at them, I, I would say, which people group do you want me to go to, Lord? Mm-hmm. And through an interesting set of circumstances, I ended up at an apartment complex And it was um, in the heart of a really bad neighborhood. In one year, they had 698 phone calls to the police department. Wow.
2: Because the apartment complex
3: had so much crime. So I knew that God wanted me there. And I had a, a, a white gentleman who spoke Cambodian and English, and he helped me round up some kids so I could start a Bible club there. So I started with 12 children. And how old were you at this time, Cindy? Um, Well, I actually was an adult at this time. Okay. I had, my youngest was three, and he was three years old. And my two older boys were, this was in my 20s, so I was probably 28. And your
0: husband was very supportive of Oh, totally supportive. He's always
3: been supportive. But it was amazing because I got to know these kids, and I... I asked God to show me what lessons to teach them because mm-hmm. I, they were coming from other countries and they didn't know who Adam and Eve were. They didn't know anything. I, in my little Christian world of, you know, mostly white people, I had never met people who never heard of Adam and Eve. Mm. And that was a new, new thing for me. So I prayed and asked God to give me wisdom mm-hmm. on how to teach them. And some missionaries came to stay with us and they suggested using... Um, It was a New Tribes Missions material, and it kind of goes through the Bible chronologically. So I used that material, took my CEF (laughs) flannel (laughs) graph, adapted it to fit the stories, and got to know the Cambodian kids. And my my little group grew from 12 to 85 children, and the the media got involved. They came out to see what I was doing because in some, well— in the world that we live in, people think if you take people out of their culture, it's a really bad thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: I knew that because they worshiped Buddha and had to go do sacrifices and give at the temple and all of these things and lived in fear all of the time, that God could rescue them out of that fear, mm-hmm. the nightmares that they had, all the things that went on in their in their lives. And I knew that I had hope for them and that the Lord could sit, could. Bring them out of this darkness that they were in. And so I asked, uh, so when I was teaching these stories, I was a little concerned, you know, the media was coming, and I didn't know if they were going to disrupt things or not. But it turned out okay, and we had some gang members that were coming and would watch me, and they tried to stop me a few times from teaching the things that I was teaching there because they didn't like what I was doing. The kids were really listening, and the parents would come out. My Bible stories were translated into Cambodian. I had a Cambodian translator, and people would stand out on their balconies to hear us. We had a, a speaker wow. and a microphone oh and everything, my. and I knew God was using it in such amazing ways. So after two years of teaching through the Bible, it took me two years to get through the Bible chronologically, um, I asked, you know, how many kids would like to receive Christ, and half of them did. Mm. So I had this core group of kids, about 45 kids, that I ended up with, and I started mentoring them, and teaching them, and, you know, helping them, and my biggest issue I had was when they hit junior high, I was losing them to the Crips gang, Mm. and um, the Crips and the Bloods are, at that time, were really big here, now it's more than Oteños and Sreños, but The Crips and the Bloods were really big. And so I asked God, what should I do? I'm concerned I'm losing these kids to the gangs. And it was like God showed me that I needed to take them and mentor them. So here I'd been working with them for about five or six years. And I started with them when they were like seven or eight years old. And now they're junior high. And now I, so I started teaching, you know, bringing them over to my house and taking them on camping trips with our family and doing those sorts of things, just making them a part of art. Some of them have never seen the snow. They've never been to the beach. They've never been out of Modesto. So here they've been here. They came from Cambodia, or they were born here shortly after they came from Cambodia or, or um, Thailand. And so I started teaching them and I ended up taking them all the way to college and getting to know them. But I learned a lot of things about culture Things that we shouldn't do, and things that I had to be careful of, because I didn't realize every culture is different. And in the Cambodian culture, you don't pat children on the head, and I didn't understand that. Someone told me, you know, never pat them on the head. What so does I asked that mean?
0: What does
2: that mean?
3: It means that you take their spirit out of them. Oh, oh my! So it's very serious to them. And mm. the girls that I had were really good because they would help me. I didn't know feet are a big deal in the Cambodian culture, and mostly in Asian cultures. The feet, you never, when you sit on the floor, you don't sit with your feet facing outwards towards anyone because that's like an insult. You always tuck them in behind you and you always cover them. So, because everyone takes their shoes off when you come into a place, you have to try to turn them a different way in a different direction because, and I didn't know these things, I had to learn them through trial and error. (laughs) And, um, but the kids were so good to me. They helped me learn a lot about their culture and, and, and I had kids that, I had, you know, when you teach them to serve God and follow God, there's, you know, Scripture we would talk about. It because I taught them really the Ten Commandments. That was one of the first things I wanted them to learn about was um, to obey their parents, to not steal, not lie, you know, don't cheat. All these things that are really, um, really good for the kids to learn. And so as I taught them those things, we had dilemmas. My parents want me to go to Buddhist temple to pray to Buddha. But I believe in Jesus now. What do I do? Mm. Wow. Those are huge dilemmas. Yes. And um, so one of the girls, she asked me what to do because it was a big Cambodian celebration. And you always go to the temple during Cambodian celebrations. And it's it's huge festiv- festivities. They have lots of partying for a couple of weeks and um, lots of games and gambling and all that sort go- goes along with it. And she said, Cindy, my father told me I have to go to the temple to pray to Buddha, and i said well let's let's ask I want you to do one thing: tell your father, you must submit you know you, you need to obey him and respect him say father i I respect you, and I want to obey you, but I believe in Jesus now, and can I not go to the temple anymore and I thought, oh, I said, I'll be praying for you when you talk to your father about this. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but I want you to know that if he says you have to go to temple, you should still obey him because inside God knows your heart. You're not bowing to Buddha, but on the outside you are to obey your father. So we prayed, and then she went in and talked to her father. And she called me the next day. She said, "Cindy, Cindy, guess what? My father told me I don't ever have to go to Buddhist temple again." Oh, the Lord!
2: So God <laughs> answered
3: our prayer, and she saw. God was really big to her and how great he was. But it was oh really neat. My. She was my little Andrew. She was always finding people to bring to Christ because Andrew brought Peter. And I can't remember who else he brought to the Lord. But he was the one who went out and found people to come to Jesus. She was my Andrew that brought everyone to come to hear hear the gospel. So I had numerous kids come to know the Lord because of her.
1: You know, and Cindy, just, just in your, your narrative there about this season in your life, you know when God calls us to connect with others there there's an embedded uh demand for sacrifice mm-hmm. you know that that no act of service is without giving up something of yourself and uh certainly there was risk involved here, mm-hmm. you know, and yet it sounds like just a clear um command from God that this is what you were uh what you were supposed mm-hmm. to do and isn't that wonderful? it wonderful? A tremendous blessing when we're in the sweet spot there with uh-huh. where God wants us to be, exercising the gifts He has given us. And look what He did. You know, mm-hmm. three, half the children come to Christ, for yeah. goodness oh, sakes. Not getting better than that.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Ooh. Well, Cindy, we, we are we're so glad that you're here, and we just look forward to to even hearing more. You know, the group down here mm-hmm. sums it up uh, in the heart of our special guest tonight in their song. Here it is. Here I am on Lighthouse Live."
2: Sometimes your calling comes in dreams. Sometimes it comes in the spirit's breeze, yeah. You reach for the deepest hope in me and call out for the things of eternity. But I'm a man of dust and stains. when it's hardest to stand I know that you will finish what you began and these broken parts you redeem become the soul
0: house live with pastor mike elaine and our very special guest cindy marks i tell you when we heard that song we we knew it had to be played tonight (laughs) cindy that's just uh you know what a song because your life just uh exemplifies that uh you know here i am lord send me and and you did that you know the story you were sharing with us and we see you do that just uh consistently with your life in this community cindy you bless so many and uh that light shines <laughs> wherever you go. We just uh, appreciate knowing you and serving uh, alongside you. And uh, I, I have to think, as you were sharing about the uh, little Cambodian children, uh, Shirley Salters with Healing Nations does that, and and we see her serving on the west side. Do you keep in touch, or I'm just wondering how uh, their their lives turned out? Do you do any of them uh, uh, keep in touch with you?
3: It's hard when they. They don't always hang on to your phone number, Mm. and so if I run into them or their parents in the community, it's really neat. And I was at a fundraiser not too long ago, an evening movie fundraiser, Mm -hmm. and there was a girl sitting in front of me, and I looked at her and I went... And I said her name, and it was her. And it was so neat to see her and and catch up with her a little bit. And she's in college, and there um, she's doing really well. And so's her sister. I had uh, she and her sister were in our group. I had a lot of siblings because Cambodian families they tend to have you know large families, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of neat to get to know all the children. And so it's I've. I've seen most of them go on to college or get good jobs and get married. And some live near me now and they have Wonderful. little children. and wow. So it's really neat to see them um, grow up and prosper and, um, and, and leave the, to me, leave the Buddhist... Um, religion mm-hmm. and follow follow mm-hmm. the Lord. That that was a hard thing. We talked a lot about um, you can like Elijah, the story of Elijah. Mm-hmm. You know, King Ahab thought that you could serve God and Baal, 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 yeah, whatever you say his yeah, name. We, and we we talked a lot about that. You cannot serve God and and Buddha. That's um, right. He wants a single hearted, you know, a heart completely for Him. So we. Um, we did talk about that. It's very hard because the religion is very intertwined into the traditions and culture. So to deny the religion is very hard because I said it's like telling someone you have to take all the medicine out of your medicine cabinet. Mm. You no longer can use your Tylenol and your whatever you've been using um, when you have a headache because now you're going to follow God and it's different. And that's the only way I could tell that Way, because the things that they do to to make a headache go away or to um, relieve their pain or s- sickness is through um, you know sacrificing or doing different things that they use to do that, so I had a lot to learn about that and to teach them to trust the Lord and how He works in our lives and and it 's brought about great freedom for them. It was neat to see them stop having nightmares and stop having mm, horrible wow. things. Um, we had a lot of demonic problems so mm. um, but I saw God do great things um, at the apartments that was that was scary you you mentioned <laughs> that i was it was a really scary place to be i don 't I was only afraid one time I had a girl that was pregnant that was coming to live with our family. Um, we were going to hide her. I don't usually do that, but we have taken in homeless people and people in crisis for some mm-hmm. reason or another um, for many, many years. And we felt that because in her family something bad had happened, they didn't tell us what had happened. But if another crisis had hit them, their culture is – they're very family-oriented. And if you have something bad happen, you can be excommunicated. Mm-hmm. And when you speak one language and you're in a new, new place – it's very hard to live and survive. Um, they're very dependent upon each other. And so we knew we had to keep her hidden. And so she, she was, I would come visit her at her home before she came to live with me to get to know her family so they could trust me when she left them to move in with us. But I remember this one night I, I came to the apartments and... I had this really, I had brought two girls to my house to teach them how to sew so they could become more independent. They were 12 and 13, and I was bringing them back that night, and I just had this uneasy feeling when I dropped them off. And I said, you know, I'm going to walk you up to your your apartments because I just have this feeling tonight. I don't know, something's wrong. So let me walk you. So I parked in the back of the apartment complex, and then I walked them up to their room, and I went in to see this one family, and I said, you know, could you walk me out to my car? I never, I'm not usually afraid, but tonight I'm just a little bit worried. And I walked out on their balcony and looked down at my car below and these five big, huge men, or young men, ran by my car. Oh if I had left Lord. five minutes earlier, I would have been down there when they were coming by my car. They looked like they had just done something really bad. I don't mm-hmm. know what. but And I was looking in the paper the next day to see if there was a shooting or a stabbing in the apartments. But the security guards were always talking to me about, you know, you need to watch your back. This is a very dangerous place and you don't fit in here. I'm blonde and blue-eyed and <laughs> petite and you don't fit in here. And they were always concerned about that. And I said, well, I am trusting God. Do you know the story of Jericho? Cuz they would see me walk around the apartments mm. on a regular mm-hmm. basis mm. and I would walk and pray and fast on a certain yes, day yes. to break down the walls yes. that were there. And that, that was the direct result of that mm. was the students mm. who the children who became Christians after that time. Wow. So it was amazing, but I I knew God was protecting me and he did protect me many times. I was rereading a journal that I had written this I was looking back at some old journals this weekend and I read an article about this time I walked up and I was talking to an Indian man. He was Fiji Indian. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to him. I was getting ready to do my Bible club with the girls. And this other man stopped his car in the middle of the driveway where you would drive through. And he jumped out. He had this wild look in his eyes. And he ran over to us. And then he stopped. And he suddenly became calm. Talked to us. This man, um, Prem, he introduced me to him. And then I said, I gotta go. I gotta go teach the girls now. And so I left. I came out and he said, Cindy, Cindy, I have to tell you, that was my brother. He mm. came tonight to shoot me. Oh. But he, he had a gun with him mm. and he was ready Ooh. to kill me. Mm. And you were standing here. And I thought, <sighs> wow the lord's angels watch over us when we don't even know we aren't even aware <laughs> so i was thanking the lord that he had watched over me because i didn't know that i just knew that guy looked a little wild and you see lots of wild people at that apartment complex
1: yeah. you know cindy i think there's there's something else that, that comes through and it's something that we try to stress uh with those who serve from churches mm-hmm. and that is that it is not a matter of going and doing a hit and run thing mm-hmm. uh In order to gain trust, Mm -hmm. in order to gain believability, credibility, You have to develop a relationship with these people. I mean, you were there for two years uh, at 13 least? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. <laughs> okay, thirteen years. That's some longevity, yeah. sister. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> our, our ability to <laughs> stay at the table, as one of our friends, Ross Riles, often says, oh, yes. <laughs> to stay with the stuff, to stay at the table, <laughs> that speaks volumes. Yeah. You know? and, and so I just want to use your story to emphasize that it is so important that whatever we do in terms of serving, that we stay there mm-hmm. and we stay the course and develop a relationship with the people that we're serving. Mm-hmm. That's when Christ yeah. shines through yeah. us. This hit-and-run stuff yeah. just doesn't work, friends. Yeah. It just That's doesn't. Right.
3: Yeah. It's all about relationships. You're so right. And I, I think people are afraid to do that because it takes a lot more time and commitment mm. to spend to take the the effort to do yes. that. I was thinking how easy it is to go in or do a summer missions or do a once a week thing and Mm -hmm. then take off and then come back the next year and do it for a week. But how hard it is to do a weekly thing every week, set aside time, prepare, do something. You build long-term relationships. Then you have the opportunities when things happen. I mean, those girls would call me. They called me in high school, two of them. I had one call me from, she had gone off to South Dakota And she called me in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Cindy, I I just can't see facing life anymore. I I just can't live anymore. Mm -hmm. So we talked for an hour and a half on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I had another one of the girls call me. And it was the middle of the day. And she said, Cindy, I'm sitting here on my bed with a gun. And I just can't go on. I'm pregnant. My boyfriend's in Crips gang. And I don't know what to do. So I said, can I come pick you up? Can I bring you to my house? But see, those things wouldn't have happened or they wouldn't have (laughs) called me had I not had the time that I'd spent with them since they were little and been able to know that they could trust me. I wasn't going to go run to the police. I was Mm going to come and help them right now. Mm -hmm. If the police needed to get involved, we would try, but... um, it works best if we can build those relationships. Amen.
0: You were committed. They trusted mm-hmm. you. You had a compassion for these these people that you were serving and working with. Cindy, you loved mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And they knew that. They loved you. You weren't there to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. You weren't there for that purpose uh, at all. And a lot of times, unfortunately... <laughs> Uh, we see people serving for those reasons too. And and that's 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 not what our service uh, should be about. But uh, you were there for the right reasons and for the right motives. You,
1: you know, our time is slipping I can't away. What's this? with that? I
0: don't know. We should have sitting for oh, two hours. Because I, I want to get into another <laughs> no. aspect here. And
1: we're just going to keep trudging on here, I think. Okay. Um, you know, your your involvement with the school district mm-hmm. is, is another commitment. I want to turn the clock back. It was about in th- <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes. more ways than one. Don't, but- <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wanna turn the clock back uh I don't know, 12, 13 years ago and and uh you know, I kinda of changed careers midlife at forty and Became a rookie pastor and didn't know anything better, but you know, to take God at his word and, mm-hmm. and do stuff and not worry about the consequences. And someone had, we were talking about the fact that, gee, you know, there's only one believer we mm-hmm. think on the school board. Mm-hmm. Uh, bless his heart, John Hollis, yeah. who later oh, went to be yes. with the Lord after a, a diving accident. And uh, we were looking at that, we were looking at all the stuff that was coming down in terms of curriculum. We thought, you know, we just. Why aren't there more believers on the school board? And and uh, one of the pastors on staff said, well, Mike, you know, this is probably one of those areas that you ought to be dealing with. Why don't you go do something about it? I said, well, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? started kicking that around. I said, what about, because Mike and, and Dave Romano had a wonderful course on, on Christian citizenship. Said, Wouldn't it be a great idea if we just held kind of like a small group training or orientation on Christians in the public service mm. Mm. and so i said oh, great you know so i called up the sundial lodge there and and uh we rented a room for eighty dollars i think it was and I we just bring some people together and and i made a call to this guy named john evans who i didn't know from adam <laughs> or eve oh. and you know and, and we've been getting each other in trouble ever, ever since. since but he, he said i remember the phone call distinctly he says well I don't know if I want to come or not, because if you're just going to sit around and talk, I'm not interested. I said, no, 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 we're, we're about action, I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. I say, I come from the fire s- service, put the wet stuff on the red stuff. But, you know, uh, we're all about action here. And he <laughs> says, okay, I'll, the, well, I'll come and, and check it out. And uh, so anyway, we, we had this group of people that that met in the sundial room, and, and we had some prayer behind it. And out of that ridiculous thought that we could actually do something about it, God has done some amazing things mm-hmm. and he brought along uh, Cindy Marks mm-hmm. you know and and he uh, brought along several other people throughout the years that Connie Chin yes and, and uh, uh, it has Kitty just Thompson. been yeah. Kitty Thompson yes. yes what a wonderful oh, servant of God <laughs> Nancy oh, Klein I mean all of a sudden well, God kicked open the door because his servants were ready and I want so that's how I remember 12 or 13 yes. years ago I'd be interested to hear about what God was doing in your life at that time and and how he said to you, I want you to Mm -hmm. go that direction.
3: Well, that was amazing because I was out there doing my own thing with the Cambodian kids and just loving God and speaking in the high schools on abortion, adoption and fetal Mm -hmm. development and working with Bethany Christian Services Mm -hmm. and the Modesto Pregnancy Center and just kind of doing my own thing. And here out of the blue, I'm doing, we're studying Nehemiah and Bible study fellowship. I was in a women's Bible study group. And in that study of Nehemiah, it was interesting that um, God just touched my heart. And he said, I want you to go in and rebuild the walls around our school children. Wow. And, mm-hmm. I said, and I said, I looked back and I, I pulled out one of my journals and I looked back and my excuses were not running for school board (laughs) were, (laughs) but God, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough degrees. No one would want me. I don't want to. It's too political. I'd never been in politics in my life. Um, I don't have enough money. I don't know how or what to do. And it was like God said, just look at this book of Nehemiah. It's going to be your plan. Mm -hmm. This is your game plan. So I looked at that, and what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah 1.4, he had grief. He sat down, and he wept and mourned for days. Now, our school district was in a big crisis at that time. Our community was in a big crisis at that time. I don't know if you remember, but it had to deal with some um, gay issues that were going on and some money that had been spent. and. Um, by the school district. And I think in that process, God was raising up people because John Hollis had been in a coma. He had had an accident yes. and he yes. was still in a coma. Yes. This was in the spring of 97. And out of that, um, the next thing I that I noticed that Nehemiah did was he prayed and fasted because this grief had burdened him so much. And I think that you all were praying and Pleading with God to raise up people, and I didn't even know that at the time. I heard about it afterwards, and here I was just asking God, you know. And I at the um, Bible study, the lady who was teaching it, um, she said that, you know, it was interesting because the things that she said at the beginning of her lecture were, "Have you been complaining about the government or your church, or saying this school needs or somebody ought to do something?" Nehemiah was one of those people that decided to do something. Hmm. He was grieved over Jerusalem and the fallen walls in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and I was grieved over the um, the state of our community with the students and the curriculum and what is going to happen. And I had no idea where the schools were going to end up at, and yet I had I hadn't the first clue on how to start or where to start. So I called John Evans also, and said because through a, numerous phone calls. Mm-hmm. His name came up, and I someone gave me his phone number. And so I called him and said, you don't know me, but God's calling me to run for school board. And I heard that there was a group of people praying. <laughs> and so I said, I need some help. I've never done this before. I don't even know what to do. And so through that, God raised up helpers for me out of the community. One of those was Mike Winther. Wow. And they, he and um, John um, from First Baptist Church, they both helped me uh, a lot through that summer to get my paperwork in order and figure out how to do this the beginning of running a campaign and then God provided all the money I didn't have to ask I needed they told me I was going to need between 15 and 20 thousand dollars to run Mm -hmm. for school board and here God raised up people I and at that time there were limitations no one person could give you more than 250 dollars It was absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. to watch God provide all that money that I needed and everything in that campaign. And God did miracles. These guys, Mike, you should ask him, (laughs) the (laughs) miracles that we saw God do because it increased all our faith to say God is alive and well, Mm -hmm. and he is raising people up, and he's putting us in places like that on the school board. I had no idea I would ever end up there on a school board but because I had kids in public school be in private school before that and I was homeschooling one and then my husband and I the six or eight months before God called me to this had decided that we were gonna put our two older boys in public high school and so we had already made that decision who would have thought then mm. God was gonna call me to run for school board so he already has it planned out and what he wants to do and he just asks us to be willing and it's, it's not an easy road it's a hard road, yes, but it's a good road, and He always says, "I will never leave you nor forsake that's you." That's
0: right. Amen. And there you were, Cindy. Yeah. You said, "Here
3: I am." Yeah. Lord. It was a scary thing to say that. Finally, <laughs> when He got me to the place where it's time to say, "Okay, I'll do it," was really hard, but I knew that's where He wanted me, and and here I've been on for. Eleven and a half years. Wow. This is oh, an election goodness. year. This year, I've awesome. won two, three elections, and the Lord has been faithful to me. And there's only two of us there, um, Nancy Klein and I. Um, Connie decided not to run in the last election cycle, and Kitty, of course, left early on because her husband was called to Southern California to his work, moved him down there. So, but and you
0: have been faithful.
3: Oh, thank you. Cindy. I've, I've. I tell you, there's no greater place to be than in the middle of the will of God. Amen.
1: <laughs> oh. Amen. What well, I think it's significant, too. You know, and, and unfortunately, <clears throat> our churches, sad to say, uh, tend to be male-dominated, mm. by and large. Mm-hmm. And it's significant to me that God used women mm-hmm. to crack that whole thing open, mm-hmm. you know. And it's, it's, God has a wonderful way of just leveling things out. You know, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and I think it's significant, Cindy, that you, that you were talking about Nehemiah's approach to this. First, there is that grieving over the status mm-hmm. quo.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we need to be grieving over our community. Yes. You know, so no matter right. where you are, <clears throat> I mean, we know what world affairs are like right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's mm-hmm. any one community where we can say, this community has been transformed for Christ. Mm-hmm. There are none in the United States. We know that through research. So we need to grieve over the condition that we're And then it's the prayer that comes after that grieving yes. or in context with that grieving that is so important. And then that wonderful aspect of being available. Mm-hmm. And when you're willing to do that and just answer the call and not worry about the consequences, that's when God does amazing Things mm-hmm. and the influence that you know the Kitties and the connies and the mm-hmm. Cindy's uh, have, have all had the connie uh, mm-hmm. is just absolutely amazing. John Hollis's legacy is still there. Oh, you know the yes, impact that is. he had, and uh, but but much. friends, you know if we wait around for someone else to do it, uh, not going to happen. We we need to we need to be available and answer that call. We've got about uh, two minutes uh, left, Cindy. Uh, What would you say to believers who are thinking, what should I do, you know, or hey, I'm kind of at uh, midlife now, you know, I don't know what I should do with my life. What are some godly words of wisdom for folks who may be listening around the world today?
3: Yes, I think the first thing is to ask God to change your heart. Mm -hmm. If you're content where you're at, it's probably not a good thing. Mm -hmm. And get outside of your comfort zone. I think our faith grows when we step outside the safety of our church walls and the safety of all our Christian friends and ask God what he wants with us what can what would he like to do with our lives and then watch and wait and listen and he'll show you just keep be patient cuz he all he asks is for willing hearts and abide in Christ ask what you will and he'll do it so when we do that he can accomplish great things through us. Preach it, sister.
1: There yes. we yeah, go. you go. That's it, I right there. I love that. <laughs> well,
0: Cindy, uh, how about for you uh, personally? How can we be praying for you and, and lifting you up during these times and uh, maybe providing some, some hope there?
3: Well, I ran across this today in my quiet time. Uh, I like to read Oswald Chambers. I really mm. appreciate him. But mm-hmm. this this one thing to me is we are not sent to battle for God, but to be used by God in his battlings. And I think for me to be used by him, just in the way that he wants me to be used, that I would have the right attitude and listening to him to do his will.
0: Oh, absolutely. We can do that. Well, Cindy, we want to thank you so much, precious sister, for spending this time with us today. We just so enjoyed you and your message is just wonderfully powerful. Thank you so much. And dear friends, wherever you may happen to be listening tonight, thank you for tuning in. And uh, have a great week, and uh, may God continue to bless you. And we'll see you next time.